0: Alright, you guys ready? Let's do this. Man, I'm pumped uh, about today's message and what God has, has in store for us um, today. So you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. Hey, if you'd like to follow along with today's message on your phone or your iPad or whatever you have with you, just uh, hold your phone up with the camera app uh, to the screen right there and it'll take you to uh, the, the site where you can... You can follow along and have the notes um, there for, for yourself. Um, but, man, I'm, I'm pumped about a, a series that we're going to continue today because we've been talking about some some strange things that Jesus has said. And so this is kind of our Christmas series. And the reason it's our Christmas series is because Christmas is all about Jesus. And he, sometimes he said some things that we might might not understand. And so we're going through a series called Did He Just say that. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some some statements that are pretty profound. Like we had one called um, where Jesus said, all authority has been, has been given to me. Um, we also uh, have had one where he talked about, he said, tell no one. That was last week. And what in the world does that mean? Why should we not tell anybody about Jesus? Because I thought that's what we're supposed to do. But he said several times, tell no one. So why did he say that? So if you haven't Watch the, or didn't weren't here for those, go back and watch those. You can check those out um, online because uh, they, were, they were big. They were pretty important messages that, that God had um, for us. But today we're going to explore um, something that is on the screen right here. It's their paradoxes. And it's a paradox that Jesus had to say. And, and a paradox is, is a seemingly absurd statement that when you first read it or first hear it, it seems not right or it seems false until you investigate it more and it it just might seem true. Like this one, if life is unfair to everyone, doesn't that make life fair, okay? These are like head scratchers, you know what I'm saying? Like things you're like, what, okay, I'm not sure about that one. Or like this one, this is a good one, my favorite. If poop touches soap, is the soap dirty or is the poop clean? That's a terrible one, okay, I get it. That's like the youth pastor to me, so I just apologize. But y'all, y'all can talk about that one over lunch, okay, and try to figure out um, which one is true in there. Or how about this? If you try to fail and succeed, which have you done? Okay. All right. How about this one? Your mission is not to accept the mission. Do you accept? Okay. Right? Okay. So I mean, like these are these are sayings that are going. This doesn't make sense. This is confusing. That's what a paradox is. Now Jesus said some things that were not paradoxes. That seems things that were pretty simple and easy that we all understand. Like he says, do to do to others as you would have them do to you, and love your enemies, right? And, And pray for them. Those are pretty simple statements. But then he says this in John chapter 12, verse 25. That's what we'll be today. Here's what he says. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now that is a strange statement. And honestly, it is quite confusing. And so this morning, that's what, here's what I wanna do. I just wanna simply investigate this phrase when Jesus says, hate your life. Hate your life. Why in the world would Jesus tell us to do that, well, to understand what Jesus meant and what He was saying, we got to understand what's going on in this passage in John chapter twelve. We got to investigate uh, the things that are happening, the the message that He has for us, and the circumstances surrounding it. So, here's a little bit of background on what's going on when Jesus says, "Hate your life." So this is about the last week um, of Jesus's life here on this earth. He goes into Jerusalem. There's the triumphal entry. Everybody is celebrating Jesus coming in. And then he quickly goes to the temple and he does not make any friends there. You know, he begins to turn over tables and all that kind of stuff. And all the religious leaders are super upset with him. And they're trying to find a way um, to get rid of Jesus. And then... Jesus and his disciples go to some house. We don't know where it was, but they were kind of, you know, hanging out at a house uh, during, during that time. And something happens, starting in verse 20. So here's where we are in John chapter 12, starting verse 20. It says, Now among those who went up to, to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So a group of Greeks, okay, so these are not Jews, but they're a group of Greeks, and they had come to this Passover festival. And so evidently they were seeking after God and seeking after truth, but they weren't Jewish. In fact, historians say this about the Greeks, that people called them the wanderers of the ancient world and the seekers of truth. And so they were seeking after God's truth and they hear about Jesus and they go to Philip and they say, Hey, can we, can we meet Jesus? Can we see Jesus now? Why do they go to Philip? Well, Philip, he has a Greek name. Philip is a Greek name, and so they had some common ground there. Like, hey, he's one of the disciples. He probably understands this the best. We can go to Philip. Philip goes to Andrew because Andrew, if you remember the series over the summer, Andrew's the guy that always took people to Jesus, invited people uh, to see Jesus. And so Philip goes to Andrew and says, "Hey, can you help me to go to Jesus? I'm a little scared about this. I'm not sure if he's going to want to meet these Greeks. Let's go together. Uh, so there's, you know, we can go together. We're, we're not by ourselves. Let's go and ask Jesus um, if if they can meet." him and so they go and do that it's really interesting that while this is happening while these foreigners these greeks while they're trying to find jesus and they're seeking after jesus the religious leaders in in the city are trying to kill him and so these jewish people are are against jesus and these foreigners these gentiles are for jesus now scripture isn't clear if jesus actually goes and meets with them but evidently just the fact that they were seeking after Jesus, it sparked something in Jesus, and he taught this, and here's, this was his response in verse 23. The Bible says, and Jesus answered, answered them and said this, "The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified." So even though the Jewish people were not ready for Jesus, it seemed like the Gentiles were. It seemed like the the Greeks were. It seemed like the the non-believers were ready. And it sparked something in Jesus. And he said, you know what? It's time. He said, it's time. The hour has come for me to do what I have been called to do. And then he goes on and tells a parable. And it's just a one-verse parable in verse 24. And we call it the parable of the seed. And here's what he says. He says, truly, truly. So when he says truly, truly, what he's saying is, listen up. Everybody stop what you're doing. This is really important, okay? So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is a profound statement. And honestly, it's kind of like another paradox. It's a paradoxical statement that just do, doesn't kind of make sense because it's saying that if a seed remains alive, then it's gonna be alone. But if a seed is willing to actually go into the ground and die, then it will produce a plant and more seeds, and then it won't be alone anymore. But it requires that seed to sacrifice and actually die. And I can't really describe it as well as seeing a video of it. So watch a video here of a seed doing just that. So here we go. Time lapse of a seed. This is like Elementary school, you know, science project type stuff here. So you put a, you put a seed in the, in the soil, and what it's doing right now is it's dying. The seed is dying, and it's growing roots. And as the roots grow, it also begins to grow a plant. And what it's saying here, and what Jesus is trying to illustrate, because they all knew what a, what a seed did. What he's trying to illustrate is that death is the way to life which kind of doesn't make sense. But Jesus here, he's talking about himself. He's ultimately talking about what he's about to do and how his death is going to produce life. And a new plant and more seeds. And honestly, there's a pretty profound truth in the middle of this that I think we need to get. And it's that Jesus, he died in your place so you can have life. He died in your place so you can have life. Don't ever forget that. I pray that that's something, a statement, a truth that we just kind of sit on every single day. And we remember every single day and it helps us in our decision-making and the things we do and the things we get involved in that Jesus, he died in my place so that I can have life. And he uses this image of a, of a seed to illustrate His sacrifice. In fact, it's a sacrifice he's been talking about a whole lot. He talked about it in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, and he says, For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve. And to what? To give his life as a ransom for many. He talked about it all the time, about how he was going to give his life for us on our behalf. But he's not done, he's not done in this little passage of John chapter 12, because he, he keeps teaching and he flips the script and begins to talk about us. Look at the next verse, verse 25, the verse we've been looking at already today. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so there's these two opposing, opposing ideas here about loving your life and hating your life. And he's saying that both of those They produce different results. Now on the surface, I have a big problem with that because I love my life. Like, don't you love your life? I mean, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my dogs. I love my my neighborhood. I love my church. Um, I love being the pastor of this church. I love my life. I also love popcorn, you know? Don't you guys love popcorn? I love popcorn. I love Texas A&M football. I love playing cards with my family and my friends. And I love naps on Sunday afternoon. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen on that? I mean, seriously. Like, I'm excited about the nap that I'm about to take here in just a little bit. I love those things. And if Jesus is saying that if I love those things, then I'm going to lose everything, then I have a problem with that because that's not changing. Like, I'm going to still love those things. Well, that's not really what Jesus is saying. What he's doing is he's taking these two phrases, love and hate, and he's using them as figures of speech to teach us about our priorities, teach us about how we view life. And another name for priorities is treasures. And Jesus, he warns us about having certain kinds of treasures and actually encourages us to have certain other types of treasures in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 he says this you've heard this before he says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth and describes those treasures what's going to happen to them where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and when Jesus says treasures on earth what he's describing are things that we give ourselves to like idols that we have in this life and the question for us today is what are your ultimates what are your idols that you might have Another way to describe this is, is ask this, what are you obsessed with? Think about this. Are you obsessed with achieving your goals? The staff kind of laughs at that because like, I'm obsessed with that, okay? I'm like, let's goals. I've got to create goals. You're know, like, let's go, you know? And so my question for myself, am I, am I obsessed with that to the point where that is ultimate in my life? Am I obsessed with achieving goals? Are you obsessed with your income in the pursuit of more? How about this? Are you obsessed with politics? Some of you guys, you spend so much time reading the news, watching the news, debating what's going on. You, you follow that like a soap opera because we're obsessed with those things. Or the same thing with sports, guys. Are you obsessed to the point where you know every player on that team and the coach and the coordinators and the assistant coach and the trainers and you know everybody and what's happening? I would say you're, you're a little obsessed <laughs> with that. Are you obsessed with those things? How about this? Are you obsessed with yourself? You want to know the easiest way to figure out if you're obsessed with yourself? Just take out your phone, look, click on photos, and see who you take the pictures of the most. If it's of your own face? <laughs> then you got a problem. <laughs> you might be just obsessed with yourself. Or you might be obsessed with love and acceptance. And you're willing to go to great lengths and to do things that aren't you, just so people will have a certain view of you. And you begin to live for the approval of other people. That's what Jesus is talking about here, about having these treasures on earth, and he's saying, guys, these things aren't gonna last. It's not something to give your life to. He says, here's what you should give your life to. The next verse, verse 20, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasure, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where their thieves do not break in and steal. So he describes what these treasures are like. What he's saying is instead of chasing after those things, we need to chase after God, Right? Chase after things that will produce treasures in heaven. What are those things? Well, for one, it's, a, it's a pursuing a relationship with Jesus, right? That is a, a treasure that you can never lose. How about being more like God? Being like him, acting like him, and treating other people the way that, that he treated other people. And ultimately sacrificing the way that Jesus sacrificed for other people. What Jesus is asking us or what he's saying is that in your heart, am I, greater, am I a greater treasure than these other things? Like he's not saying that you can't love those things. But what he's saying is, do you love me more, right? Do you love me more? Am, am I the pursuit of your life or is it these other things. And that's what he's talking about when he says, hate your life. Look back at verse 25. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. If that is ultimate, then you're going to lose it all. But he says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And I hope you understand what he said here. He doesn't say, if you love your life, it's going to go bad for you. If you hate your life, it's going to go good for you. What he says is, if you hate your life in this world, right? I think that's something that we need to understand. He's saying, do you hate your life in this world? What he's saying is, man, you got to be so committed to Jesus that to the rest of the world, it looks like you hate your life in this world. It's just a perspectives game, right? I mean, when I was in fifth grade, I had my first girlfriend. Fifth grade, what was I thinking, Right? I mean, how silly is that? Being in elementary school and getting your first girlfriend. But you know what? If you, if you dated when you were young like that, it meant the world to you, right? And that person was ultimate. It was the, she, she or he was the most important person in your life. I mean, that's just what you live for, right? I mean, it was so silly because, man, I, you, know, you know how I asked her out? I had a friend do that, Okay. And so, hey, you go, ask the, you go ask her, right? And so he goes and does that. Hey, what did she say? Okay, great. We never even talked to each other. We're dating. We never even talked to each other. And like two months later, I had the same friend go over there and break up with her. Okay, that's how I rolled as a fifth grader, okay? And that's silly, but when you're young, it means the world to you. But now when I compare that to my wife, in our marriage, and how we met, and how we love each other, and how we have kids together, and we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. That's a difference, right? And I look back and I don't even remember that girl's name, you know? But back then it was so important. It was ultimate. But compared to my wife, that means nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, compared to the rest of, the, of everything else in your life, I should be ultimate. What he's really saying is there's got to be a breakup. you got to break up with yourself, You got to break up with this world and begin to pursue me and follow me. In fact, Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter six, verse fourteen. Here's what he said. This is this is this is great. He says this: the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Okay. He's saying the world and I we're done. Right? We're we're broken up. I've asked my friend to go tell them. Okay. Like that's how we're doing. Okay. He says we're done. I am not living for the world anymore. I am living for Christ. And this is the call in our lives. We have to, as we live life, as we love things in this world, we have to make a choice. we got to make a choice of what path we're going to go down. And so here's an illustration that kind of shows that. In life, there's big moments in our lives we have to make fork in the road moment, uh, choices. But every single day, we also have these fork in the road moments. Where we choose either the path to perishing or the journey to joy. Now, the path to perishing... is is the road that misses eternal life. And it's someone, and it's honestly the majority of the world, who lives for who? Themselves, right? They live for themselves, and they're doing the things of this world. And God knows that. I mean, he knows how we tick. He knows that that's just natural for us. It's just, it's just natural for us to look at the rest of the world and say, how, do, how, are we supposed to, how am I supposed to live? And I, and I think those people are happy, so I'm going to go do those things that those people are doing because that seems to bring joy to them. And so I'm going to go do those things, even though those are worldly things and they're chasing after the things of this world. I think those are good for me, so I'm going to go and do those. God knows that about us. In fact, he it says this in Proverbs 14:12. He says, there's a way that seems right to a man, But its end is the way to death. That's a good verse. Because there have been times, and I know that all you guys are thinking right now, times in your life where you thought something was a good idea, and it wasn't a good idea, right? It ended up being a terrible idea. And you go, man, I'm not as smart as I thought I was, you know? I didn't know how things were going to turn out the way that I thought they were going to turn out. And what the world is saying, the world is saying, come follow me. Let's go that way. And Jesus is saying, no, come follow me. Let's go This way. And he's saying to choose a better way, which is the journey to joy. But here's the deal: this journey to joy means you gotta hate your life. (laughs) Which is which is crazy. It means you gotta hate your life in this world. Or you're saying, I've broken up with myself. I've broken up with the ways of this world. Now, before we kind of move on to this, there's something important that I think we need to, to talk about. Now, when you when I say hating your life, that can seem kind of like morbid and dark. I get that. I mean, it's not very like Christmas message, you know what I'm saying? But here's some things that it's not. Hating your life is not a call to poverty, okay? I think some people might look at it and, you know what, if I'm really truly, like truly falling out to God, I just got to, i got to lower everything in my life. i got to get rid of everything and all my relationships and all my possessions and all my things and all my goals and all my achievements. And I'm just going to live this this pauper life. I'm just going to be be as as low as I can be. And that's the way I'm going to, that's the way God calls all of his people to live. But that's not the way God calls all of his people to live. What he says is that I want you to pursue things in this life, but to my glory. And so he's not saying that you should not have goals. He's not saying that you shouldn't try to build your business, okay? He's not saying that you shouldn't try to take care of your family and have an income and all those things. He's not saying that. He's saying, when you do those things, I should still be ultimate. And the reason you do those things ultimately should be for me and my glory. Because here's the cool thing. When we do that, we end up having influence, you know? I mean, think about that. Think about Getting an education, going to school, becoming a boss, or, or becoming a leader in your community. What, what are you doing? You're not just pursuing your own goals, but you're putting yourself in a position to have influence. Have influence in your community, right? Influence in your, your career, influence in your, your job, so that you can do that for God's glory. But you know what, also, if, if you have the ability to make a good income, it's an opportunity for God to use that, right? To meet other people's needs and to take care of people. He does that through his people. And so we just gotta say that. I mean, it's not a call to poverty. And here's another thing. hating in your life is not a call to carry around your martyr card, okay? You guys know what the martyr card is, right? People, someone that, that always, life is just terrible. Everything is bad. And people that purposely, they seek out persecution, and life is actually pretty good, but they want people to see, to see their life as, man, it's just, oh, it's just, it's just a struggle. and Life's just tough, you know. And so everything that happens, they pull out that martyr card and be like, I'm just a martyr. And it's just, oh, man, I'm just living for the Lord. Everything's terrible. I'm like, stop it. God, God doesn't want that for you. That is self-sabotage. He wants you to live with joy. It's like if you never go into battle but you cut your arm up and your, your leg and you bruise your, your face up so you, other people can see, I mean, look how, how tough life is for me, you know, right? I mean, there's people that are like that, that doesn't matter what happens. It could be the best day ever. It's just like, oh, it's just terrible, you know? It's the martyr card. God doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to have joy, right? He wants you to, to go down this, this path to joy. And this, this journey to joy is a journey to die to yourself. That sounds kind of crazy. You know, I want to, I'll read a a quote to you by a guy named Matt Carter. He's the the founding pastor of Austin Stone Church in, in Austin, Texas. And he said this about dying to yourself. This is what God is calling you to do. Die to little dreams. Die to empty routines. Die to playing life safe. Die to protecting your reputation. Die to selfish, small living. Die to stingy, self-centeredness. Die. And only then can you live. And only living brings joy. And that that's a good, good way to think about that. That's what God is trying to teach us today. Don't make those things ultimate. Make him ultimate. Ultimate. In fact, I'll I'll go as as far as to say something else. And I think it's it's biblical that if you don't die to yourself, if you don't change your priorities and hate your life in this world compared to Jesus in your life, then I believe that the Holy Spirit really has no room to work in your life. And that's what Jesus is saying. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 36 says this. says, you foolish person. Just kind of a tough way to start a verse, okay? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Think of your life as that seed. And God's saying, I want to do something special in you. I want to use you. But you know what? You got to die to yourself. Because then I will have an opportunity to work in you. I have an opportunity to grow you. And do what? what, is a, what is, ultimately, what does a seed do? It produces fruit, doesn't it? And as believers, we should be producing spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the big one, self-control, right? Those things are hard, (laughs) you know? It's kind of impossible. Those are, those are lofty goals to have or, or fruits of the spirit to have. But that's what they're, they're fruits of the spirit. They're not fruits of yourself. God has got to work in your life to produce those things. And until you die to yourself, it's just, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So you've got to die to yourself. You've got to disown your selfish ego. You have to ruthlessly and continually abandon your self-centered existence. You gotta do that. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. And I'm telling you what, that's tough. That's a lot. You're like, man, Clayton. It's <laughs> a tough message to preach today. I get it, okay? That's, that's tough. I mean, I look at my own life, I'm like, there's no way I can do that. Every single day, I'm selfish. Man, talk to my family, right? I'm just naturally selfish. I'm a sinner just like you. That's difficult to do those things. But here's, what, here's what's great about God. He doesn't just tell us to do things. He shows us, doesn't he? He shows us. Jesus shows us how we're supposed to do that. In fact, that's what he does in the middle of all of this. Verse 25, he's telling us how we're supposed to live. But in verse 24, he shows us the example. And then verse 26, he says, here's what I need you to do. Look at verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, he must do what? Follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the father will honor him. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, I get it. I understand this is difficult. This is a lot to ask. And honestly, I I know that you can't do this on your own. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna gonna lead you by example. That's what he did. He led us by example back in verse 24 about saying, hey, I'm gonna be a seed that's gonna die so that I can produce something in this life. We're supposed to follow Jesus. You ever been on like a road trip and you're with, you're not, it's not just one car, but it's multiple cars. It's like a caravan of people. What is the worst position to be in? At the front, right? Unless you're just like, I just want to be in charge, you know, <laughs> like that kind of person. But if you're in the front, you have all the responsibility, don't you? I mean, you are, you're trying to navigate and you're, you're, you're setting the, the speed and you know, anybody ever missed an exit when you got a caravan, you're, you're in the one in the front, like, oh man, they're going to hate me. You know, and i got, I'm relegated really to the back now. Okay. Okay. But I mean, like, it's difficult to be at the front, but what is the easiest place to be? Man, the back. You can just forget about pretty much everything. You don't have to worry about turning. Okay. You just follow that car in front of you. You're just driving. When they hit the brakes, you just hit the brakes. They turn the blinker on, you turn the blinker on. You, don't, you know why you're turning, but like they're doing it. So you're just going to fall, you know? That, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to follow me, okay? I'm going to do this first. I'm going to show you the way that you're supposed to die to yourself. I'm going I'm to prove to you that this is the, the path to joy. And I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. That's what he says. It truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was willing to do that for you. I think there's something else, I kind of want to end with this. There's some other little nugget of information here and a truth here that I was thinking about this week and it just, man, God just kind of brought it to, to my heart I feel like we need to to hear, and it's this. It's that we're supposed to be like Jesus and grow where we're planted. We're supposed to grow where we're planted because you have been planted, just like Jesus was planted. Jesus was planted on this earth, a sinful earth, and he was planted on a rugged cross, that was his purpose in life. And you know what? He didn't shy away from it. He said, you know what? That's what I'm gonna do. And he knew it was difficult. I mean, he even went to the father and said, hey, if you can take this away from me, this cup, please. This is, this is too much for me to bear to do this for the sins of the world. Like this is a lot for me to do. But you know what? He still did it. He realized, you know what? Life may be difficult and the choices that I have to make, Following God might be difficult, but I'm going to do them anyway because that's my purpose. And I think that's a great lesson for us today because I think some of us, we don't like where we're planted. You know, you're like, you know what? I wish my family was different. I wish things were different in my family. I wish, I wish my, my job was different. My career was different. I wish I made more money. I wish I didn't live in the neighborhood. I wish I, I, wish I had just better neighbors and they're, they're my, you know, the problems in my life. I wish I had a better church, you know? Like, I mean, we, we, we complain about our lives all the time. And God is saying, stop complaining about your life and grow where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. I heard a story recently of a, about a, a Christian group, like a short-term mission trip group. And they went overseas to a, a, a faraway place, a faraway country. And they met up with some long-term missionaries. They've been there for a long time. And they began to do ministry with them. And they actually, these short-termers, they were like, man, I just miss civilization. I mean, this is tough. I like running water and electricity. I like all the normal things in life. This is difficult. And they said to the long-term missionaries, they said, man, you certainly have buried yourself out here. This is difficult. But the missionary replied, we haven't buried ourselves. We were planted. They said, you know what, this is the call of our lives, and we wouldn't want it any other way. It's the same thing for us. God has called each one of us to be in the family we're in, the neighborhood we're in, and the job we're in, the career we're in, the influences that we have, and the church that we're in. God has called us for a purpose. And man, things would be different if we would stop complaining about those things and say, you know what, this is what God's called me to do. And so I'm gonna do it with, with all of my life, with everything that I have and take the example of Christ. That is what Jesus is calling us to do, to, do, to grow where we're planted. And I pray that Galatians 2.20 can be the call of your life. Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's saying, man, it's not about me anymore. It is about Jesus. Am I still going to have a job? Yes. Am I still going to do things like normal things in this life? Yes. But you know what? My life is not about myself. It is about Jesus. And he says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He showed me by example how I'm supposed to live my life. He died for me and sacrificed for me so that I can live. So I'm going to do the same thing for other people. I'm going to make those tough decisions so that other people might be able to see Jesus in me. What he's asking us to do is love him so much that the rest of the world looks at us and they're like, man, do you hate your life? (laughs) Why would you not say yes to that? And why are you saying no to that? And we say, it's because of Jesus. I love him so much. He's everything to me. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the example of Jesus who was willing to sacrifice, to be like a seed that died so that we can have life. And that kind of doesn't make sense. <laughs> but then again, it does because you're a great God. And so, Lord, I pray for every single person in this room who might be struggling with, with some things in their lives that they are making ultimate. And I pray, God, that they would be convicted of those things, that they would shift and they would change They begin to sacrifice for you. They begin to to live for you in the middle of their careers, in the middle of raising kids, in the middle of trying to provide for their families. I pray God that they would base decisions on bringing glory to, to you and you alone, not to themselves. We thank you that we don't have to do this alone. We thank you that we have other brothers and sisters in Christ around us. We thank you ultimately that we have Jesus and his example who's willing to sacrifice it all for us. So God, I pray that we'd be able to do the same thing. I pray the rest of the world would look at us and go, man, what in the world are they thinking? Seems like they hate their lives. The reality is we love our lives. We love the lives that you've given us, God, but we love you even more. Help us to be able to do that, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.